Greetings and welcome back to Shnaim Mikra, the series sponsored by the Orthodox Union hosted at OU.org, in which in each podcast we examine and study one of the aliyot of the current week's parasha. This week we are, of course, reading Parashat Mishpatim. And uh, my name is Yitzchak Shalom. It's been a pleasure to be along with you for the first four of these podcasts. And now we'll be studying the fifth Aliyah, uh, which begins in Parak Chaf Gimel of Sefer Shmot, Pasuk Vav, until Pasuk Yotet, chapter 23, verse 6 through 19. Uh, we continue on in the uh, sort of synthesis, or meandering back and forth between uh, laws of the juridical procedure and uh, Kodashim, things related to the Mikdash. Uh, you are not allowed to uh, be in, in, in a couple psukim earlier. We heard that you're not allowed to favor the poor. Here, you're not allowed to pervert the justice of your poor man in his suit, meaning you have to judge fairly. Midvar sheker tirchak. And the, the Midrash Halacha immediately addresses those two things, which says you might be tempted to try to help the poor man out because he's poor. On the other hand, you might uh, be tempted to say, well, the rich man has far more to lose in his uh, in his prestige. If he loses this case, I'll favor him, and then privately I'll give uh, you know I'll give the poor guy the the difference. No, you're not allowed to do either one of those. Midvar sheker tichak. You have to distance yourself from words of false falseness or lying. Naki and Sadiq, by the way, in Tanakh are parallel terms. Sadiq is an innocent person. To kill an innocent person, uh, you cannot do because I will not, uh, find innocent the guilty, which is you for killing the innocent person. And this, of course, finds its uh, manifestation in many cases, most notably, Malachim Aleph Chafalef, where the kangaroo court kills Navot to refuse to sell his, his uh, vineyard to uh, Achav. Don't take bribery. Right? Bribery blinds those who can see and takes uh, either divrei tzadikim or divarim tzadikim. <coughs> take a look at the yonklus here and will pervert correct statements. In other words, once you have a bribe, then you're not going to see things straight, and you're, one way or the other, justice will not be served. Bribery here, by the way, does not, it's not limited to money. And therefore, there's a halacha that a, uh, what we'd call an ex-cathedral communication of a, uh, a litigant coming up to the judge before the case and talking to him, or allowing one litigant to stand while the other sits, or allowing one litigant to present his case before the other one shows up. All of these bounder on the problem of shochat. Vigir lo again, as we saw before, do not oppress the stranger. And this takes us from the court to all sorts of things that we do as a zeichelitz yet mitzrayim. So the first one is in juridical proceedings. You're not allowed to mistreat the stranger. You know what a stranger feels like, nefesh because you yourself were strangers in mitzrayim. shanim Now, by the way, whether ger in this parsha refers to a ger tzedek, a ger toshav, up for dispute. Up for discussion. You can plant your land for six years and collect all of the property, but all of the uh, produce. But on the seventh year, you have to leave it alone, walk away from it. Let the poor of your nation eat it. Whatever's left is eaten by the animals. You have to do the same thing for your uh, <coughs> for your vineyard and for your olive grove. 
and the three major kinds of uh, produce of Eretz Yisrael, which are grains, olives, and and grapes, <coughs> are mentioned here. And this is, of course, an introduction to the laws of Shemitah, which we'll meet more fully in Parshat Bahar. You work for six days. This is something that we already saw both in Parshat B'Shalach, in the context of the Man, and we saw it in Parshat Yitro, in the Aserta Dibrot. You do all your work for six days, on the seventh day you rest. In order that your animals should also rest, and your... Um, your slave children and the strangers in other words anyone who's in your property also has to be able to rest and they also deserve a day off and now it's a sort of a summary pasuk which then leads to this here Elohim does mean gods you cannot mention the names of foreign gods on your lips and this is in general considered to be a prohibition against taking an oath in the name of a foreign god which is of course very common to happen in the ancient world anytime you would go to a court of a foreign power uh, and here we are introduced for the first time to the shalosh regalim at least uh, explicitly and literally, a regel is a pilgrimage festival because you get there by foot. At Chag HaMatzot Tishmor, you have to guard the festival of the Matzot, which we encountered already in Parshat Bo. Shivat Yamim Tocha Matzot Kasher Tziviticha. If eat Matzot for seven days, like I commanded you, the Mo'ed Chodesh Aviv. It has to be at the time of Aviv, which is how we know intercalation, and we know that we have to move the year around so that Pesach always comes out at the beginning of the growth season of the Aviv. It has to be at the same time that you left. When you celebrate this holiday, you also cannot come to me empty-handed, meaning you to regel, and therefore you come up, you have to bring korbanot up, and that's something that we'll see more of later. There's another festival, Chag HaKatsir, the, har- the, the cutting festival, the, har- the harvesting festival, it's the beginning of the harvest, the beginning of your produce, that you plant, and that of course is Shavuot. And the, the gathering festival, at the end of the year, when you gather all of your produce from the field, and that's of course Sukkot. So we have Chag HaKatsir, Shavuot Chag HaSif Sukkot, and both of them are directly related here to one thing and one thing only, and that is the harvest season, as opposed to Pesach, Chag HaAviv, which is actually never called here, but Chag HaMatzot, which is directly related to the historic event of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and therefore it has to be at that time of year. Of course, it has to be at that time of the year, so that Chag HaKatsir and Chag HaAsif will happen at the proper time within the harvest uh, calendar also. <clears throat> Parenthetically, you notice that Chag HaSif is called B'Tzei Tashanat, the end of the year, which is a little strange because we regard Tishrei as beginning, being the beginning of the year, and therefore Sukkot is really the first uh, in, in the first month of the year. Alternatively, going back to Parshat Bo, Parakut Bet, Pasuk Bet, um, Tishrei is in the middle of the year because Nisan is the first month. So how is this B'Tzei Tashanat? So if you'll be known in a wonderful article um, a number of years ago that was published in a compendium uh, put out by Machon um, Herzog uh, about Rosh Hashanah, talked about Rosh Hashanah and Reshit Hashanah, and noted that really Rosh Hashanah is not a day but a season. And the entire first 20 days or 21 days, as it were, of Tishrei is a season in which both the year ends and the year begins. And it's not one particular day, and this is one of the proofs, because Chag HaSukot is called the end of the year. 
Shalosh Pami Vashana, now we summarize, Yira'e kol zuchurcha, all of your males should be seen, al pneha adon adonai, they have to be seen before God. Of course, there's no specification for where, there is no shalayim pinpointed yet. Lotizbach al and by the way, at this point, there is no mishkan yet either, so what that means is as yet unclarified. Lotizbach al chametz dam zivchi. So you can't put the dam of my korban on the mizbeach while you have chametz, with chametz. The way it's understood um, uh, halachically is that this is referring to the korban Pesach, and it's a prohibition against shechting the korban Pesach while you own chametz. And this is how we know that you are obligated to be rid of chametz and disown it by the middle of the day of the 14th, because that's when the time of the shechit of the korban begins. And the korban cannot stay on the Mizbeach until morning. It has to be consumed and finished. And now, the final pasuk in this passage, which, by the way, is the end of the legal compendium in this section. Bring the first fruits of your, gra- of your earth to the house of Hashem. This is the mitzvah of Bikurim. You cannot see the kid in its mother's milk. And that's how the Aliyah ends. Uh, the Sforno here has a, has a very interesting comment. It says, what, what is the juxtaposition of these two phrases? He says, in the ancient world, <clears throat> he says this far more succinctly, but he says, in the ancient world, there were nations that would offer up a, uh, an offering in which they would take a, an animal, and they would slaughter it, and they would cook it in its own mother's milk, and they would believe that that was a fertility rite that would be successful, that would help their crops grow. He says, that's why the Torah is saying, Instead of In other words, don't do that disgusting thing that they do. It won't help you at all in gaining fertility. Your fertility will be gained by bringing the Bikurim to Beit Hashem. And that's, uh, and that's really how, how that should play. Um, interesting is the Sforno is not uh, initiating a new idea, but he's building off of a comment of the Rambam in the Morin Vuchim. Well, the Rambam says that he had investigated into the books of pagan practice. There's <clears throat> a famous, famous uh, piece in the, uh, throughout the third ch- section of the Mornavuchim, where the Rambam had investigated some of the pagan practices of the Kananim, and the Saba, as he called them, the Tzaba, and uh, found that one of the things they did was that they took a lamb and they and they slaughtered it and they cooked it in its own mother's milk and that's why the Torah uses that wording to prohibit uh, cooking milk meat and milk together and of course famously the Torah says it three times once now once in Kitisa which we will see in a couple of weeks and once in Parshat Re'eh um, and the reason the Torah says it three times is to prohibit eating uh, cooking and and eating and any other sort of benefit you can't get any hanaf from Basel B'chalav so Sforno is picking up off of that um, off that notion. Just an in- interesting historic uh, footnote is that for centuries uh, scholars had um, not given much credence to this approach because they said that there is no evidence for such a practice, and the Torah said it that way because the Torah said it that way for whatever other reason. And then in 1929, in the town of Ugarit, a tablet was found which listed the practice of a fertility rite, and in it, at least according to the way that it was read then, and publicized, I believe Ginsburg publicized it, uh, it said, uh, slaughter the uh, goat, prepare the cream, and uh, it was part of a fertility practice. So uh, a lot of people took a look and said, see, the Rambam was right, the Sforno was right, um, and there really was such a practice. Since then, Bruce Zuckerman, just to give full disclosure, Bruce Zuckerman at USC, who has done the spectrographic analysis on the tablet, maintains that that's really not what's written. And if you look carefully, there's something else written there. 
but uh, at least uh, there was for a, a few decades uh, some sort of historic evidence that uh, such practice existed. Of course, we don't know that the practice didn't exist. We just the evidence that we thought we had uh, turned out perhaps to not be not be accurate. In any case, we will pick it up in the sixth aliyah, uh, where we go in the, both the sixth and the final aliyot of Parshat Mishpatim are now back to the narrative of Matan Torah, and uh, and we will go from there in the next podcast. In the meantime, everybody should have a wonderful day.